Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Hello. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke 1, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 38, so it'll be a little while. Luke 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to New King. We're so happy you're here this morning. And uh, first off, a big thanks to Jenna for that wonderful scripture reading. It's probably the longest scripture reading in the history of man. (laughs) But I felt it was uh, really important to uh, read that whole section. And uh, as as Lucia said, during this Advent season, we're going to be looking at the first few chapters of Luke. And... uh, our plan is to, is to see the people and the thrilling hope as a Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, the Savior, comes into the world. Um, I have to tell you, I felt some uneasiness about the sermon that I've prepared for you this morning. Um, and part of it is I felt that I was preparing. God was kind of changing the sermon a little bit away from the thrilling hope into something else. And this morning as I was driving up here from beautiful downtown Panton, Vermont, which is many miles away, I was coming up Route 7 and I looked out in Charlotte over Lake Champlain in the Adirondack Mountains and the sun was shining and I felt some clarity. And what I'm going to talk to you today about is something that you and I, every one of us in this room, struggle with. It's doubt. We all have doubts. Every single one of us have mornings where we wake up and we say, is this really true? Is the Bible really, really true? Can I really put my hope for eternity on these words written so long ago? I don't know. We look at the world around us, we see turmoil and trouble and disaster everywhere. How can there be a God, we wonder? Every single one of us has these moments. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is the thrilling hope we have, even though, even though we doubt You got that? The thrilling hope we have even though we doubt. I'm going to talk about a couple of things. I'm going to start with Luke's purpose in writing from the first four verses. Why did he write the gospel? And what's he trying to show us in chapter 1? Then I'm going to talk about um, how to talk to an angel. 
Now, this is very relevant. We all talk to angels pretty much every day, right? No. But how do we talk to an angel? And then I'm going to talk about shame or no shame. We see in these two stories that in one story, a woman's shame is taken away, yet in another story, in the same chapter, shame is imposed. Why is this? How does that work? And then finally, I want to talk and get back to this idea about do we have unwavering, unwavering faith or do we live with doubt? How much faith does it really take to have a relationship with God? So that's the topics just for, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope of Jesus a sure hope, an anchor for our souls. Yet as we go through our lives, we have moments, maybe days, Father, maybe weeks where we doubt. Father, help us to see that our hope truly is in your Son, Jesus. Give us encouragement this morning as we read your word and we study it. Father, help me to encourage people this morning through your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's always good when we start reading the Bible to understand the genre of what we're reading. The Bible is made up of 66 books by about 40 writers, and there's many different types of writing that we encounter. There's poetry. There's apocalyptic writing, like the book of Revelation or Ezekiel. What we're looking at here with Luke is something called historical narrative. Luke is giving us a history. He's giving us an account of historical events so we know what happened. And as we read that, we also see the characters involved act in a certain way, sometimes good, sometimes bad, and we learn lessons from them. So historical narrative is something that gives us uh, uh, real clarity on what happened, on the events that happened in the past, but it also gives us um, little um, lessons, lessons based upon how people act. So let's look at the first four verses of Luke and try to figure out what his purpose was in writing this book. So Luke gives us four. He says the occasion, the method, the audience, and the purpose. So what's the occasion? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from, from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke is saying, look, there's a bunch of writings out there. A bunch of people have tried to give account of the things that happened. I am going to go, I am going to do some work, and I'm going to give my account based upon my work, my research, my professional training. That's what I'm going to do. And Luke has some methods that he describes. It says he spent considerable time following things closely. He spent time looking at things. He went back to the beginning, to the original sources, to the eyewitnesses, to the first-hand accounts. Sometimes you and I wish we could have an investigative reporter that could go back to the time of Jesus and give an account of exactly what happened. Well, here we have it. That's exactly what Luke did. He's like a 60 Minutes reporter at the time that went into the detail and looked at all the first-hand witnesses, all the accounts, and then what does he do? 
He puts them together. Now, who's his audience? This guy, most excellent Theophilus. Now, why don't we have names like that around here at New King? Why isn't it most excellent Eric? Why can't we have names like this? Oh, man, I don't want names like this. I'm just kidding. Most excellent Theophilus. We don't know who this guy really was. We're not sure 100% who he was. But the title, this idea of him being most excellent, gives us a hint Oftentimes, in that day, Roman officials were called most excellent. We see that a couple of times in the book of Acts. So we may say, okay, he's probably a Roman official. He's probably a Gentile, meaning a non-Jew. And uh, he'd been taught some things about Jesus. It says in verse 4 that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So maybe this guy is like you and I in a way. I think we're all, maybe almost all of us, 99% of us here in this room or online or, or don't have Jewish heritage. That was Theophilus. Maybe we've been taught things about Jesus. Yeah, we have. Maybe we wonder, can we be certain? How can I be certain? Well, Luke says, here is the purpose of the book. This book is for you. It's for Theophilus, and it's for you today, that you may have certainty about what you've been taught, that we can trust what is written, that it's true, that it's accurate, that we can believe it for life and eternity. This book is for you, most excellent churchgoers to New King, those in person and those online. Now, now, what does Luke do? So the next thing is, what does Luke do when he starts this big, long document? It's a big, long document, big, long gospel, not the longest, but almost. What does he do? He's this, he's this historian. He goes back to the first sources. He interviews everybody. He goes through all the accounts, well-researched, thoroughly investigated. How does he begin to give Theophilus and us certainty? What does he start out with? Well, he starts out in the most surprising and astounding way. The most surprising and astounding way. He starts off talking about two related families, doesn't he? There's two. There's Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then there's Joseph and Mary, two families. One family is old, the Eric and Annette family. <laughs> One family is young. One family is married. One family is engaged. One, one is in a temple in Jerusalem, the center of worship. One is in an obscure town in the country. Interesting. Both are godly. Both are full of faith. Both are going to have a son. And later we learn that each son is going to die in the most violent way. The angel Gabriel speaks to both of them. It's the same angel, the same guy, speaks to both of them. And both are troubled by the angelic appearance. They both ask a question. And both later sing a song of praise. So it's clear that what Dr. Luke wants us to see is that there's comparisons and contrast between these two families. That's what he wants us to see in chapter 1. That's the genre he's writing in. Historical narrative, but focusing on these two families. It's right there in front of us. Oh, but wait. But wait. There's one more thing. There's one more little tiny detail. 
in both stories, in both families, there's a woman disgraced. And she's prominent in the story. Elizabeth is barren, a reproach to both her and her husband. Mary becomes an unwed mother. What do you think she went through? A disgrace and a reproach for her and her husband. Now look, let's just step back a minute. Let's pretend that you were going to write a New Testament account that would give certainty to the story in the culture of way back then. You would never, ever start the account with women. That was the culture back then. You would never start the account with disgraced women. Never. You would never do that. In fact, what you would do is you would make everybody appear really, really good. And it would be about men. That's what happened back then. That's how the histories were written. So when we see what Dr. Luke does by bringing this up at the very start, it gives us certainty that it has to be true because no one in their right mind would start out that way. Do you understand? No one would write an account in that way. It would be dismissed and thrown out immediately unless, unless it were true. Now, how do you talk to an angel? Let's look at part two. How do you talk to an angel? There's so much to talk about with these two families, but I want to talk about this most prominent feature. They each have an encounter with the angel Gabriel. How do you talk to an angel? So Luke starts out in, in verse 5, and he gives the setting and the characters in the days of Herod, king of Judea. There was a priest named Zechariah, a division of Abijah. gives all this detail about the setting and the characters. This is what a good historian does. He lays it all out for us in detail. And then verse 7 is the problem statement. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They were old. They were senior citizens. They were ancient. That's the problem statement. And then, here's the amazing thing I am just um, surprised about. From verse 8 down, Luke starts giving the details of where everybody is. Every single person in the story is named and where they are. You ever notice that? Where they are. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So the first guy, Zechariah, he's chosen by lot. He goes in the temple to the altar of incense to burn incense. There he is. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of, of incense. So where were the other people? Oh, they were outside. And then verse 11. This is my favorite verse of this section. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. Well, where was he? Where was the angel hanging out? Oh, he was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. He was standing right over there at the right side. You all know where that is. Why does Luke include that? 
My friends, that is a footnote to tell us that Luke is telling the truth. That's how they did things back then. They gave the detail so that we would believe it. No one else would write a story like that to say where the angel was. Who cares where the angel is? (laughs) We see it clearly. This gives us confidence that his account is true. Okay, now we have the wonderful proclamation of Gabriel, starting in verse 12. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. I'm troubled, he says. Yeah, I'd be troubled too if I saw this guy, right? Troubled. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You should call his name John. And the angel goes on to describe this man and his ministry. He's a a herald. He's a forerunner. He's the one that comes before the load. He is the fulfillment. The fulfillment of the last book. Yea, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament that says Elijah must come. And here he is. 400 years before, this this prophecy in Malachi had been written in chapter 4. 400 years later, here it comes. Boom! Your son is going to be the guy. And now comes the big question. That's what I want to focus on. So I'll build up to the question. Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. What's, uh, what's Zachariah worried about? He's worried about biology is what he's worried about. Old. He's worried about biology. He knows that at his age, he can't father a child. He knows that his wife can't have children. They're too old. He's worried about the biology of it all, right? He's worried about that. And I love what he said. He says, I'm ancient But my wife, well, she's just advanced in years. It's really kind of a nice way of saying old. I kind of like that. And then Gabriel responds. He basically says, just who do you think you're talking to? Just who? Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced. I am Gabriel. Look, pal. (laughs) I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I am sent to speak to you this good news. What he's saying is, I come from God. I am directly from God. I speak the authority of God. Who are you to question me? I am Gabriel. I'm that guy from the Old Testament. You never read the book of Daniel? That's me back there. Who do you think you are? And then Gabe, I call him Gabe. (laughs) Gabe says, you know, um, I think it's time, Zachariah, that you had a timeout. (laughs) And and the story unfolds, and he he basically says, um, you're not going to talk for a while. You're going to be quiet. You're going to have a little timeout. Your dad ever give you a timeout? Yeah, today? How many times today? Not many times. Okay. A little time out. You're going to go and have a little quiet time. On the greatest occasion of your life, 
No, the greatest miracle of your wife, where you're going to father a child, you can't go tell anybody. Sorry. Zip. And how long was that? At least nine months. A long time. And later we'll see the result. Now let's look at Mary. What about Mary? Sounds like a movie, right? What about Mary and her encounter with Gabriel? That's the next section. That's why I wanted to read it. So if you look down in verses 26 and 27, Luke does the exact same thing. He has a setting. He has the characters laid out. He gives the detail of who they are and where they were. Great historical narrative. And in verse 28, he came to her, Gabriel, same guy, sent from God. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord was with you. And she was greatly troubled. Same thing, troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You shall conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And here we have, don't... Don't just read over this. Here we have the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies coming to bear on the baby that this woman is going to carry on Jesus. He is going to be Savior. He is going to be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God is going to give him the throne of his father, David. All these things speak volumes to Jewish people. All these things say these are the, this is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. This is the hope we have, and it's going to be fulfilled in your baby. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And now comes the question. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? What was Mary concerned about? Biology. <laughs> Same thing, but on the other end of the spectrum. She had probably been to a sex ed class of some kind. Now, she's probably young. She's probably like 14, maybe 15, we think. But she probably knew that it takes a guy and a gal to have a baby, right? And she said, okay, I'm betrothed, but I haven't, we haven't been together. How, how are you going to do this? So she was also concerned about biology. And then Gabriel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born who will be called Holy, the Son of God. In effect, if I can say this reverently, the Holy Spirit is the Father of Jesus, right? Okay, what's the point? What do, we, what do we take from this? We could take a thousand things. What do we take from this? I just want to share with you, with you one thing. It has to do with the two questions. Zechariah says in verse 18, when he hears from the angel, how shall I know this? And Mary says, how will this be? Zechariah says, I don't know if I believe you. How am I going to believe this? What proof are you going to give to me? How are you going to make me convinced that this will happen? And Mary says, cool. How are you going to do it? 
You see the difference? We, we see later with the confrontation, the discussion with the angel that, that Gabriel says to Zechariah, you didn't believe me. You didn't believe me. You heard me, but you didn't believe me. It was all about you. It was all about convincing you. How are you going to convince me? Says Gabriel. Or says Zechariah. And then Gabriel says, okay, you have a time out and think about it for a while. But Mary... Mary believes instantly. Zechariah says, I don't believe you. I don't believe it. What does Mary say? I don't believe it. Tell me how. Give me the details. And that's the difference. Now, what do we take away from that this morning in, in 2020 at New King on Williston Road at 10.14 a.m.? We take away this. One had an encounter with an angel and doubted. One had an encounter with an angel and had unwavering faith. Both were blessed by God. Do you see that? Yeah, one had to go in a timeout. One had to learn more about who God was. One had to have nine or ten months of silence. But God blessed him. And in the end, as you read through the chapter, you see that, that Mary sings this wonderful song of praise to God. But Zechariah does too. When his tongue finally is loosed, he gives forward this prophecy of praise. And I almost think he probably sung it. They were both blessed. And they both blessed God. So the point of this, the point I'm trying to make is God will bless us in spite of our moments of doubt. God will bless us in spite of those days when we wake up and we say, oh, I don't know if I believe it. As long as we have true faith. How much faith? How much faith? Wow, time is going by. I think I'll skip that point. And I think I'll skip that point. I'm going to come to the end. We see that Mary had unwavering faith, and God blessed her. We see that Zechariah had faith with doubt, and God blessed him as well. So the question, the question is, how much faith does it take to have a relationship with God? How much faith does it take? Let's look at Zechariah. Just, just go back to him for a minute. So, so he was a man of faith. He and his wife were, were blameless. He was a man of prayer. It's most interesting in verse 13, Gabriel says, your prayer has been answered. You have a son. The implication is that he may have still been praying in his old advanced age. He might have been 80 years old. He may still have been praying, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but give me a son. I think that's fascinating. But then when it comes face to face, he has this moment of doubt when he doesn't quite believe the word of God. He doesn't quite believe the good news. Can you relate? Sometimes we wake up and we can't believe the gospel. We say to ourselves, did Jesus really die? Did he really suffer? 
did he really love me enough to die for me? And we question, and we have doubt. But God does bless him. And he has a son, and his son is named John the Baptist. You know John the Baptist, right? And John grows up, and he becomes a great prophet of God, the forerunner of King Jesus. And John, if you know anything about John, he was fearless. He would stand up to anybody. And finally, he stands up to King Herod, and he's thrown in prison. And in Matthew chapter 11, John has a moment of doubt. Like father, like son, like you, like me. He's in prison. And it says, when John, in Matthew 11, verse 2, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus... He sent words by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, or is there somebody else? Ever read that? It's always bothered me. It's like, man, you're John the Baptist. How could you doubt, man? How could you say that? Are you the one? Are we, are we sure? But he does. And Jesus answered them and said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, the good news. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John was offended by Jesus. He felt the reproach, he doubted. And what does Jesus go on to say about John the Baptist in that very chapter? Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. What? He just doubted. He just said, I don't know if it's really you. Maybe there's somebody else coming. What do we hear? What do we learn from this? Look, the Bible consistently portrays believers as imperfect having moments of doubt, recoiling from the reproach of the world. Even sometimes we question who Jesus is. We see Peter forsaking the Lord three times. This is part of our life. Let's face it. We have moments of doubt. But on the other hand, the Bible consistently portrays God as steadfast. God as trustworthy. God is the one that keeps his promises, and thank God our salvation doesn't depend upon us. He saves us. He keeps us. He rewards us. And do you see what Jesus said in the face of the doubt of John the Baptist when John was in prison and said, are we looking for somebody else? I'll take anybody, anybody else? Jesus says, go and tell John about me. <laughs> go and tell John about me. Go and tell John about what I'm doing and what I'm saying. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead rise, the gospel is preached. When we doubt, that's when we need Jesus and the gospel all the more. And that's why we at New King make much of Jesus. Our focus is on Jesus. Our community groups, we talk about Jesus. We teach Jesus. 
we remember Jesus in communion. He is the balm that cures our doubts. So I want to end with a story. Just a quick story. It'll take about two minutes to tell. It's not my story. In 2016, I traveled out to Minneapolis to uh, John Piper's church to a conference for pastors and leaders. And at that conference, I heard a man speak named Don Carson. And if you know me, you know that Don Carson is my favorite Bible teacher. I love Don Carson like a son, like a father, like a grandfather. <laughs> and Don Carson gave a, an hour and a half talk, and in the middle of it, he had a little two-minute story that you can go and look on YouTube. You can find it there. It's called The Ground of Our Assurance. I've watched it probably 50 times since 2016, and it deals with this very subject. And every time I watch it, I weep. And I'm going to recite that story to you. It's not my story. It's Don Carson's story. I can't take credit for it. But it means so much to me that I want to just tell you this story to the best of my ability. It's about the very first Passover when the Jews were in Egypt and they were going to get rescued, when they were going to get redeemed. And Don Carson says this. He says, picture two Jews, one by the name of Smith and one by the name of Brown, two very Jewish names. The day before the first Passover, they're having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, aren't you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? And Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb? Haven't you taken the blood and, and dabbed the doorposts and put it on the lintel? Haven't you eaten the Passover supper? Aren't you packed and ready to go? Haven't you done all that? Of course I've done that, says the other guy. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary when you think about it. When you think about all the things that have happened, you know, flies and the river turned to blood. It's pretty awful. And now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed. It's okay for you. You've got three sons. I've only got my little Charlie, and I love him. The angel of death is passing through tonight. I know what God says. Put the blood there. But it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other guy says, bring it on. I believe God. That night... The angel of death passed through the land. Which one lost his son? Hmm? Which one lost his son? The answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of their faith, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as it accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when we doubt 
How many times do we writhe in agony, asking God if he can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough when we do such stupid, rebellious things, even after 40 years as a Christian? What are you going to say when you stand before God? Oh, God, I tried. I did my best. Is that what you're going to say? No. No. That's not what you say. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That is the ground of all human assurance before God. That is the ground of our faith. It is not the intensity of our faith, but the object that saves us. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb, and in 2020, we do the same. Amen. Father God, we ask that you would bless this word as it goes forth, that you would help us in our doubts, that we would see that it is not the intensity of our faith, that we do doubt. We have moments, we have days of doubting, Father, but it is the blood of Jesus that saves us. Increase our faith, Father. Increase our faith as we await this Advent time, as we think of the birth of Jesus, Father. Cast us on your Son when we doubt, Father, and encourage us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.